of course I'm a victim. Like I didn't ask for like these deficiencies and I didn't ask for dyslexia and like I didn't ask to have this like speech impediment as a kid. Like I didn't ask for all these things. I didn't ask to be like four feet taller than everybody else in the third grade. Like all the things, right? Of course I'm a victim. But what Sarah said next really started to fundamentally change um, my life in a really powerful way, which was this. She said, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that you're a victim. You're a victim of your own thinking. Hey everybody, this is Troy Mangum. Welcome to The Kindling Fire. Did you know your life is a message that God is wanting to communicate to the world? Every episode, I get to interview friends of mine, people that I think are awesome, whose life is communicating a message that needs to get out to the world. Thank you for joining. I have Doug Stewart on uh, the Kindling Fire podcast today, and we go to church together. Yep. And uh, we have uh, run in a couple circles together. I was sitting in the audience when he was a TEDx speaker in Raleigh, and that was phenomenal. You're going to hear a little bit of that story today. And uh, he is a Dale Carnegie instructor um, uh, for the Raleigh-Durham area. Um, You were also a a vlogger. You were also a coach. Um, And... um, you what did I miss? I'm just a dude that lives in Raleigh, and okay, my uh, <laughs> and my wife is better than I am, and my daughter's cuter than I am. Oh, there that's, you... that's about where it ends. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, you uh, have a great story of kind of an overcoming story, and uh, so I think that's kind of where I want to start. Sure. And uh, so, let I mean, maybe you can kind of go back to some of the, the, the little pieces you, you shared at TED. Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I think about, like, whether I'm, like, I have an overcoming story, it reminds me of something, a conversation that I had with my grandfather um, when I just came out of college. So I just come out of college, and I'm apprenticing under him um, in his furniture store to take over the business or to buy, have the opportunity to buy the business. And I'm looking at all this stuff he's acquired, and he came from nothing. Right? And I'm looking at like all this real estate, and he had a great business, and he's acquired some wealth. And I said, Granddaddy, how did you do all of this? And he looked at me and he said, I wasn't smart enough to know that I couldn't. <laughs> right? So when I think about like overcoming, I, I, it was never a plan. I just, I'm just not sure that I ever was smart enough to like know that I couldn't like do certain things. Right? And so so it, it, it sort of all started for me when I, was, when I was a kid, right? I was diagnosed with all these myriad of different learning disabilities. Yeah. I was put on medication. I was sent to the special classes. And I was told that, like, you don't have to do what the other kids do because you're not able. So it's like I wasn't lazy. I just, like, like some of my other athlete friends, I wasn't lazy. I just didn't have the capacity, so I didn't try, right? Yeah. And so from the time I was 11 to the time I graduated high school, I never passed a grade on my own merit, right? I either went to summer school or got pushed through to the next grade because the teacher could not imagine a universe in which I was in their class again, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was what the teachers called an active child. Um, so it was things like... like air quotes. Yeah, air, big that. air quotes there. <laughs> so they, I'm sure they had other words for that, like in the teacher's lounge, but that's what they said at the PTA meetings, right? So, but, you know, it was, 
it was it was really it was funny because I just accepted that that was sort of who I was. And so when it came to athletics, I was in good shape as long as I could play basketball. I assumed that I would sort of always be successful. Um, but when it came to like reading or like doing work or anything other than manual labor, it was sort of over for me. So, um, I mean, kids, you know, you ask kids how they feel and it's like, I don't know, but you know, now you're kind of looking back. I mean, what was, what, what do you see, what do you think was going on in you? I mean, what, what kind of belief system was getting formed in you, um, you know, through that kind of experience? You know, it was really the difference between are and is, right? So when I was giving all these disabilities, I was told you are a dyslexic, right? You you are narcoleptic. You um, are um, hyperactive, right? You are all these other things. And I'd tell you more of them if I could pronounce them, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is, is most people get like a page, like they get like a report of their deficiencies. I got a packet, <laughs> right? I got a packet and of so, deficiencies. And so they told me that that's what I was instead of, and, and that's how I took it, instead of taking it as that is something that I had, yeah, right? So it's all about, it was about identity at It was that identity. Point. So I, I clearly identified myself as someone who this was my reality, this was my truth, and that's, that, is, that, is, that was as much who I was as the skin on my body, right? Yeah. And it wasn't something I could push against or shake or iterate or, or change or, or even manage around. It was something I just had to deal with. So let's park there for a second. Yeah. There's a lot of people that listen to this and they have been given an identity mm -hmm. that's maybe not that is not their true self. I mean, what would you say to them? You have to figure out how much where the truth is because there's some truth, right? The truth is is I am severely dyslexic and I'm never going to be a um a novelist. Like I'm never going to write novels for a living. Right. I'm never like I'm also 6'7, 240 pounds. I'm not going to be a jockey in the next Kentucky Derby. Like there's some things that, that that just are true. Right. But I believe what most people do and this is what I did for decades is they they believe that because that is true um, they they multiply it, right? So I said, because I have dyslexia, I can't read books, I can't write things, I can't... Well, that's, none of that's true because I write and I read a bunch. Um, I just read them differently. So it's it's a matter of taking the truth of the matter right. and, and, and using that to your advantage. And the other part of that, I believe, and I believe, and I, and I say this a lot to parents, is that is that a deficiency or a limitation is just the shadow of a superpower. Meaning, for me, being dyslexic meant that I wasn't ever gonna be, I wasn't gonna be but so good at reading, I wasn't gonna be so good at writing. But the other side of that is I ended up being a, a pretty good storyteller and a pretty good audible communicator, right? And that's the, that's the, that's the other yeah, side of that yeah, shadow, so right? That's, yeah, that's this, um, gosh, I was, there's a term for what you're talking about, it's, it's that redeemable quality. Bingo. It's that redeemable quality. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, you got you got to lean into your strengths. I mean, you can do strength finder. You can do. I mean, it's like God has wired a lot of us a certain way, and a lot of times when it doesn't fit within the mold of well, you should be this, then we just kind of take on well, I just I'm nothing. It's right. like no, you are amazing at yep. X. Yep. You know, you just made me not amazing at Y. So why aren't you focusing on X? Why are you worrying about Y? Right. 
Why are you worrying about Y when X is your, your, your time to shine? This is your advantage or this is your God-given talent or ability yep. you know, to bring to the world. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I, I totally sidetracked, but let's, so, so you're, you're getting pushed through school, then what? I was the number ninth rated, no, that's not true. I was the number four rated basketball player as a ninth grader in high school in the state of North Carolina. Okay. So I was given some pretty good athletic ability. I was given some height, right? I've been this tall since I was like 13 or 14 years old. I'm six, seven. Yeah. And so like when you look at my pick, like when you look at my class pictures, I look more like the teacher's assistant than like one of the students, right? <laughs> and so I started playing varsity basketball really early. Um, I had a really good high school career. The problem was is a lot of schools would come to see me. A lot of schools would send me letters. And then they would ask for my transcripts, or they'd ask for my GPA, and then they'd disappear into the, into the abyss. Yeah. There was, and I really wanted to play Division One basketball. That was a dream of mine, and that's how I believed I was going to get to the next level, which my dream was the NBA, or, or second, second place was to go overseas and play professionally. Yeah. Uh, because that's all I thought that I could ever do. And so there was only one school that would take a chance, only one, and it was Liberty University. Um, in fact, I was when I was when I was at school, I was getting some pressure because the people who were sort of my mentors and sort of had sort of taken taken me under their wing, they weren't sure that I could make it at the Division One level academically. Yeah, and so they were really trying to protect me and send me and, and have me go to a different school, and I really wanted to go to Liberty. Um, Jerry Falwell himself heard that this issue was kind of going down. Yeah, Doctor Falwell got in a car drove down from Lynchburg, Virginia to Sanford, North Carolina on a Sunday to preach at my church. He met with me and I've never met another human being like Jerry Falwell. Like the <laughs> presence that he had is just like like gigantic. So I'm sitting in there and I'm, I'm not really sure like what's going on. I know I'm getting pressure. He's a bit of a personality. A oh, huge personality, right? <laughs> yeah, and this yeah. is Jerry Falwell Sr. Like this is the founder yeah. of Liberty University, Thomas Road, like moral majority, like the whole like Jerry, yeah. the Jerry Falwell, right? Yeah. And so I'm getting pressure to like go to the, a smaller school from my mentors and my caretakers, people that I've, I've, I love and, and care for and I know they love me and um, I really want to go to Liberty and my dad wants me to go to Liberty. My mom wants me to go to Liberty. So I'm really torn. And so I'm having all these like, where does God want me to go to school? You yeah. know what I mean? Like my... Like there's part of me that wants to go play Division One at Liberty. There's part of me that thinks that they're probably right, and I'm not going to make it up there. So I need to go to this other school. Yeah. And so I, I'm sitting in my pastor's office one Sunday morning before church, and Doctor Falwell walks in, and it's like the air gets thicker. You know what I mean? <laughs> and Doctor Falwell, Doctor Falwell walks and sits behind my pastor's in my pastor's chair, and tells them to leave just me and my parents. I want to talk to the boy. So they leave. Just me, my parents, Dr. Falwell. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going what's going on? <laughs> so Dr. Falwell looks at me and he goes, son, God does not care where you go to college. Where do you want to go to school? And I said, I'd like to go to Liberty, please. <laughs> and he was like, okay, have them come back in. They came back in. Dr. Falwell said, the boy's going to Liberty. I don't want to hear another word about it. <laughs> Gets up, walks out the door, 
a few months later, I'm at Liberty University. I love it. That's so, a good story. So just just like amazed, like that that revelation to me that like like God doesn't care. Like like it's not that like I was wrestling with that thing. Like where does God want me to be? And and what I found and what I've learned through that is that God just wants you to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, we try to make it so challenging. Well, anyway, so I end up going. So, yep, go before ahead. so, so you're tapping into something that a lot of people um, don't really understand. And that is sometimes God's desires are written in, uh, in our desires. Right. And a lot of people think, oh, if I want it, it's definitely not God. God always <laughs> yeah. wants something yeah, 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 that yeah. I don't want. hundred percent. You know, I. hundred percent. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the proverbial. Um, I don't want to be a missionary somebody in Africa, right. and I don't want to go to Africa. Right. So, and that's kind of how he rolls. Yep. You don't want to do it. I'm all about it. That's right. <laughs> it's that's like, right. That's not how he is. That's not. It's not. <laughs> I coach people all the time that say, you know, I really want to do this this thing X, whatever it is, and I'm looking for a sign. I just want a sign. And I say to them, what if wanting to do that is the sign and you're missing it? Yeah. <laughs> like, go do it. Like, if it's in you, that's a sign. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was my sign. So, Dr. Fowler says, you're going, I don't want to hear another <laughs> word about <laughs> it. Right. And you're there. So I'm there. I, I roll up and, and realize the, 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 the diabolical truth about Liberty University, which was uh, they expected their athletes to go to a class. <laughs> and to actually take the test, which for me was a problem because I had I had literally never earned my own GPA wow. ever wow. ever. And I, here I am as a freshman. the The other problem was the NCAA clearinghouse had seen my transcripts and said you haven't you haven't earned the right to play college basketball. So you have to achieve our high standard. Uh, in the first year to have the opportunity to play the second year, which the high standard is a 1.8 GPA. <laughs> so I had to little so, known, right? So I so I had to redshirt. I couldn't play my first year, and I had to I had to sit out. And the, my only responsibility was to stay in shape and get a 1.8. That's it. And right? it rhymed. That's it. That's right. That's right. That's all I had to do. At the end of my first year, which was one of the worst years of my life, because basketball was taken away, right? And they gave me something to do that I had never done before. And and by my identity, fundamentally believed that I could not do it, right? Yeah. So by the end of that, the end of that year, I, I had achieved my first ever GPA, which was a 1.4. <laughs> which isn't, um, for, for, for those listening that are as bad at math as me, a 1.4 is less than a 1.8. <laughs> So those, FYI. Right, so those grades got posted, and then I get a call from the academic office that essentially says, you have one semester to get that 1.4 to a 1.8, or you lose your scholarship, wow. and you go home. Wow. Uh, and then they told me to report to the academic, um, my academic advisor's office, whose name was Sarah. And I knew Sarah because, you know, she had been my advisor through the whole process, right? And... Um, she actually was my was my academic advisor almost immediately when I went up. I, I, I met with a dean because I was an athlete. I met with a dean first to talk about goals or whatever. Um, and I can remember the dean, he looked over his glasses at me. He said, so son, uh, what would you like to study? And I said, I know exactly what I'm going to study. And he said, what is that? I said, I want to study single women's ministry. 
<laughs> and he said, he said that is that is not an available option for you, young man. <laughs> and I said, then just put me down for whatever, <laughs> you know. So they put me down for sport management, <laughs> which which wasn't single women's ministry. Um, and uh, and so anyway, I, I digress a little bit there. Um, so then I, I go to Sarah's office, and when I walk in, she's like furious, absolutely furious. And I couldn't, I, I wasn't sure at that time if she was furious at me. She was furious at like the barista had stirred her coffee wrong. Like I, like I don't, I didn't know. Right. But before, before I crossed over the threshold of her office, she looked at me in a way that very few human beings have looked at me ever. Um, and she pointed at me and she said, "You know what your problem is? Your problem is that you're a victim." And it was really interesting that I, the reaction that I had was surprising to me because I had a reaction that was like this sense of relief washed over me because I had never felt another, I never heard another adult or educator tell me what I've already believed about myself. Wow. Which was like, of course I'm a victim. Like I didn't ask for like these deficiencies and I didn't ask for dyslexia and like I didn't ask to have this like speech impediment as a kid. Like I didn't ask for all these things. I didn't ask to be like four feet taller than everybody else in the third grade. Like all the things, right? Of course I'm a victim. But what Sarah said next really started to fundamentally change um, my life in a really powerful way, which was this. She said, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that you're a victim. You're a victim of your own thinking. And she told me that I would be coming to her office every day after class until I changed my mind. Wow. And so when she said that, it didn't really bother me. Like it may bother some people like, like, man, this sounds terrible, right? It didn't bother me like that. Um, because, and, and I think the fundamental reason was because I had developed this really unique skill uh, and the skill was this. I had become incredibly proficient at make, making teachers quit. <laughs> and so I figured Give like... up on you. Yeah, like two or three sessions, maybe a week, max two weeks. Sarah, like everyone else, she's going to kind of quit and say, this is just the way this kid is. Um, and so I left that day, came back the next day, walked into her office. Sarah has this big smile on her face, hands me a box of Crazy 8 crayons and a stack of colored construction paper. She tells me that she's going to start reading me my homework after class, and I'm going to draw pictures that remind me or that represent what she's reading. Now, remember, at this time, I'm a six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pound Division One college basketball player, right? Coloring, and Sarah would leave the door open to her office, and my teammates adored being able to walk past during those sessions and watch me sitting there with my colored construction paper and my crazy eight crayons, like coloring. They loved it. But something interesting started to sort of shift for me while we were going through that process. Over, over a couple of week period, I became more comfortable going to class. I, I felt like I could remember stuff differently. Um, I started actually interacting with the professor instead of like talking to the, the, the person beside me. Yeah. Right? I started actually consistently going and going to class and staying there the whole time until the end of class. Yeah. And that kind of that that progression just kind of gradually got 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 bigger and bigger and bigger until I got to the end of that semester. So this is like moment of truth. And by the way, through this whole time, I never looked at my grades ever because my experience told me that my grades never told me anything good about myself. So I never looked at them, right? And so the end of the semester comes. Everyone's gone home, 
and it's like I'm like the only person on campus and I had to stay there until grades got posted to know whether I needed to pack my stuff up and never come back <laughs> or if I got to leave my stuff there and then come back at the for next semester. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the I'm I'm sitting in the uh, in front of the computer at Liberty getting ready to push uh, view grades. I push view grades and then it was way slower. So it, it was more dramatic than it would have been today. <laughs> today it's like, like snap and it's done. Um, but it's like you had to kind of wait for it a little bit. So I'm waiting for it. And then the GPA comes up. And all, I, all I'm all i just begging 1.8. 1.8. At least 1.8. And that was the first time that I realized that 1.4 had turned into a 3.4 in a single semester. Right? And, That's incredible. And... In that moment, that's what I call my alarm clock moment, right? Yeah. And, and I talked about that in the TEDx, yeah. in, the, in the TEDx talk. But I think a lot of people really understand that feeling um, because it's, it's almost like when you're when you wake up when you wake up in the morning, you peek out of your eye just a little bit, and you realize that your alarm didn't go off, and you're you're eternally late for something that's incredibly important, yeah. right? And so you get like that shot of adrenaline, you get that sense of panic, you start, you jump up, you start doing everything you can to make up for any second that you can make up for. Right. And all of us have had that feeling, right? Because we're late to a flight or a meeting or an appointment or, yeah. or whatever. Um, I was having that feeling because I realized for the first time I was literally late for just life in general, right? Because... I had to admit in that moment, because of because of the truth of what happened, I had to admit that Sarah was right and that I had been a victim of my own thinking. And the only thing that had held me back was the way that I thought about who I was. And that impacted the way I saw the world. And that impacted how I interacted with the world. And that impacted the results I got in the world, which informed, which, which strengthened my um, position of who I was, <laughs> right? So it was that cycle, oh, right? Wow. And so when that fell apart that day, I realized that I wasn't by definition what that packet that I had carried around for 20 years said I was. Yeah. And I started doing everything I could to catch up. And that's when the mentorship thing came in, right? Because yeah. I was looking for a mentor, but I needed... Like there wasn't like one dude or one lady that could like give me what I needed because I was so deficient socially, spiritually, academically, professionally, person. I was deficient in almost every way and I had to figure out a way. So the question was, oh my gosh, I've got more potential than I thought. How, how much? I want to take a quick break in the podcast to let you know I have something I want to give you. It's called the Kindling Fire Manifesto. The reason I wrote it is because I believe that you and I have unique God-given gifts and talents that truly have the power to change the world. But, but knowing that you have the gifts or even being aware of what they might be doesn't translate into actually doing it or becoming the person that God's called you to be. I wrote this manifesto to help you practically. Here are three things that you could do to, to if you incorporate these things into your life, you will actually move towards the goal, what, I've, what I believe the Lord is calling all of us to in our unique paths. The easiest way that I can send this to you is if you're a listener in the U.S., just text FIRE to 94253, and I'll send you the link. If you're outside the U.S. or you're at a computer, you can just type in thekindlingfire.com, 
and you can get all the information about how to get it. Okay, welcome back. So that is, uh, uh, I just said quickly on the break that, uh, you know, so many people are victims of their own thinking. It is, it's, it's just, it's insidious, you know, how, how much that's ingrained in people and, and, and how much we really are limiting ourselves. Whereas God is kind of, you know, trying to saying, don't do that. She was one of the first that I could, re- I can remember that was angry at me, not because of my production or not because of my actions, but because of the way I thought about myself. Yeah. And that little distinction was the thing that really started to change. Wow. Me. Yeah. So, so you've taken um, that kind of experience and it kind of spun you up, right? Or spun you off into, you were like, hey, I, I'm, I'm late or I've got so much to learn. So kind of where did you go with that? So that, that realization really released me. Right? It released me from this idea that, that I have to stay connected to this packet of deficiencies that I was, that I was given. Yeah. And, it, and it opened my world for me to say, I don't know what my potential is. And, and it's going to be a really, really fun thing to try to figure it out. Yeah. Right? And so I started reading everything I could, listening to everything I could, podcasts, books, audiobooks, like talking to as many people as I could. Um, and that's that's where this new understanding of mentorship came from, right? Because yeah. I, I was looking for a mentor and I wanted someone to like, my, my idea of, of a mentor was sort of like the, the um, it's, it's sort of like the characters in um, The Devil Wears Prada, right? Where like Meryl Streep is like this like awful person, but she's like, she has all the power and all the money. And then you just like do everything she says until one day you get to be Meryl Streep. Yeah. No, I didn't want to be actually Meryl Streep. Yeah, but, well, but you I, get the analogy. I mean, if you secretly did, <laughs> right. I mean, but let's you, just make it known. <laughs> but, you, but you get the analogy there, right? And so, and so that's sort of how I saw mentorship. But what I what I what I learned was was that every person in every circumstance could really inform uh, my growth. And yeah. and in that way, everything and everyone could could mentor me as as I grew because mentorship was more about me than it was about the other person. Yeah. And so today, when I when I go in and talk to people or companies or teams or whatever about mentorship, most people think about like how can we get the mentors to like mentor people? How can we get like the people that have the information to disseminate that information in a meaningful way? Right. And and I take the opposite approach. I say no no no. Forget the mentors. How do we get the mentees to be hungry enough to 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 reach for that information? Yeah. Um, and so that's where all those five and a half different mentors sort of came from. Up until that point, I never I never had a mentor other than at, uh, athletically, right? Yeah. Because I was doing my work as a basketball player. Yeah. And so I had plenty of those, but spiritually, emotionally, like academically, professionally, they didn't exist Yeah. because I wasn't doing my work. Yeah. And so we get into this victim mode and it's like, well, when will someone train me? When will someone help me? When, when will someone give me a hand? When will someone give me an opportunity? And the answer is probably a few years after you started doing your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, you know, and I'll, and I'll just say I, I've got a real heart for, for men and just young men in particular because mm-hmm. society is created uh, a very kind of passive approach, I believe, to, you know, make it easy for me, you know, make it the path, the broad path and et cetera. And what you're talking about is 
Well, the reality of it is, if you really want growth and you really want to change, you start making them, you initiate. You, right. And, and the good part is, for anybody that, that knows God this way, you know, Jesus has already taken the first step towards us. Right. You know, so it's not like we're completely out there. He's like, no, I believe in you. I created you. I've created gifts and talents and abilities right. inside of you. You just have to believe right. that I did it. Right. And start walking and living like this is true. Right. And I'll bring the mentors and you'll you'll get a crumb, crumb, come across the podcast or books or yep. people or yep. whatever. Right. Because real belief requires action. Yeah. No, real, not even that. Real belief... Um, the the prerequisite to real belief is action, right? Because when you it's, I had a basketball coach that used to tell me, I would mess up, right? And he'd blow the whistle, and before he could say it, I knew what I had done wrong. So I'd say, I know my bad, my bad. I I know, I know, and he would always say the same thing: to know and not to do is not to know. So even if you know, if you're not doing it, you might as well not know. Yeah. So it's the same as not knowing. Yeah, what's the benefit of knowing? There's not one. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I learned was that personal development was my personal responsibility. Yeah. And in order for me to get out of myself, create my legacy, develop, it required me to go first. And we think about the idea of leadership. That is the essence of leadership. The essence of leadership is the willingness to go first. So let me ask you a question. Would you have done it differently? Would you have done your life differently? Mm, you know, I had someone I had someone ask me on a on a di- in a different interview. They said, "What what would you tell your 12-year-old self?" Yeah. Right? And that reminds me of that question. My answer was, "That sucker wouldn't listen to anybody. I wouldn't tell him anything." <laughs> <laughs> Right? Because like, if I could go back and like tell myself, I would have probably looked at my older self and said, bro, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, so, so I'll talk I, to you in 20 years. Yeah. So would I do anything different? Like, of course, there are things that I wish would have gone differently. Right. But, but my, my platform is 100% informed and, and created by my struggles and my failures. Right? And I see this every day in the Dale Carnegie program. Like we walk around in our lives believing like the more we can like conflate who we are or like fake the funk on Facebook and make it look like we're perfect or we have a perfect life or like we only post when we're on vacation or the most relaxed or like having a party and we don't really share the truest parts of ourselves. We, we, we forget that we connect with other people through their vulnerabilities way more than we connect through their victories. Mm. Right? And so the things that have given me the ability to speak into other people's lives, to, to develop meaningful relationships, to, to be truly present, truly authentic as other people have their breakthroughs and, and realize their vision and create their legacy is because of the painful stuff, mm-hmm. right? Not because of anything I did. Like yeah. my TEDx talk was fundamentally about me being a victim, not about me being a hero, yeah. like at all. Like the th- the the first time I ever got to speak in front of a in front of what I considered a large group, which was about three hundred people. This was before TEDx. I was speaking on succession in the retail business um, and mentorship in the retail business, and the only credibility I had is that I had failed as a business owner. Mm. That's it. It yeah. wasn't because I grew it to 700 stores. It was because I tried it 
it exploded. I ruined and like family relationships were ruined, and and I almost we almost we almost lost everything we had, and that was my credibility. Yeah, I mean that is so different than how you think it would go down. Yeah, and it's and it's and, and I and I think the thing that I want to encourage people is. Being a victim just delays everything, mm-hmm. right? We all have gone through stuff. But if you're looking back at that saying, you know, I wish this was different. I wish this, mm-hmm. instead of saying, where is the diamonds in this rough? Right. Where are the opportunities here? Yep. And and uh, and you'll find that, oh, I'm better at this. Mm-hmm. I'm better at that. I've, I've grown about, you know, some area of our life instead of just sitting in regret. Yep. And, and then that becomes then your launching point. I mean, that's so... That's that's some serious. You just dropped the mic on that one. That was good about vulnerability because it's so true. It 100%, really is. 100%. Well, look, we're right at the end. So uh, anything you want to say, kind of leave us with or kind of tell us about what you're doing now or how we can connect with you. Um, the best way to connect with me is I'm, I'm everything Doug Stewart 919. Um, my most recent... So your website's Doug Stewart 919. Yes. Okay. Yes. Not, <laughs> not everything. Not, Doug Stewart. <laughs> not, not everything Doug Stewart 919. Doug Stewart 919.com. Um, and that's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all the other various um, social places. Uh-huh. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I've actually started doing is, is realizing that um, writing is not the most... Perf- uh, proficient way for me to get my thoughts and things out yeah. into the out into the into the inter- interwebs um, <laughs> is I've start I've actually started vlogging today is like my second day Woo! of actually vlogging um, and so I'm taking what I have written and just putting in, and really just kind of documenting my journey yeah um, because I, I really believe that the more the the more we can show the reality of what what's happening um, in our lives and the journey that we're on the more people connect to it. Yeah. And and the last thing that I ever ever want to be is a sage or a guru or a master of anything. I want to be a student of everything. Yeah. And I don't believe that I will ever have mastery to the point where I can conflate myself and say like the only thing that I say as a Dale Carnegie instructor is like like come along for the ride. This has worked for me and it's continuing to work. And so um like come try it. Yeah. And like, I don't have it figured out yet. I just know I'm way better. It's like the John Wooden thing. And, I, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's like, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I want to be, but thank God, whatever the whole thing, right? Like I know that I'm on this progression and I'll never, I'll never get to where I want to be. Yeah. And that's so crazy exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. That means it's just, it's uh there's a great scripture that says the, the path of the righteous is like the noonday sun growing brighter and brighter. Our path is one that goes from brightness to brighter to brighter to brighter. That is the normal path. 100%. And so, and that's, that's, that's us becoming more and more reflecting more like him. Yep. And, yep. and who we're, and really not only more like him, but more like us, our yeah. truest the best we can be. That's right. That's right. And that's what yeah. I say to people as a coach all the time. I, I I do not want to be a part of making you into something you're not. I want to yeah. help you become more of who you already yeah. are. Yeah. Right. It reminds me my my two favorite my favorite quote my favorite uh, scripture is this. My favorite quote is by um, by Dale Carnegie, and he <laughs> says our li- and I'm biased. He says our lives are lived in peaks and valleys, right? And knowing that our lives like just having that knowledge that if it's bad, guess what. A peak's coming. And if a peak's coming, just knowing, guess what? 
a valley's going to come. Yeah. Right. And having that understanding helps us to navigate. And then the other, the my one of my favorite verses of all time is, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Right. Mm. And so my results are not always my responsibility. My heart, my effort, my tenacity, those are all my responsibility. Yeah. And I'm going to sow those things. And what harvest out of that, what the legacy looks like at the end, I'm just going to leave that up to God. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I am excited. And let me tell you why. Um I have been working uh, very diligently to kick off a brand new website. And if you're like most of the people that listen on their cell phone, I can text you the website right now. If you'll get out your phone and text FIRE to 94253, text FIRE to 94253. I'll just send you the link directly. Uh, If you're outside the United States, which we do have listeners outside the United States, um, just go to your uh, go to the website thekindlingfire.com and I have written a manifesto called You Can Certainly Do It that I want to give all of you guys for free as a way to uh, say thank you and also as a way to encourage you even further. You know, God had something in mind when he created you. He had a dream in his heart about what your life would be and what impact your life would have for his kingdom in this world through your art your business your family your ministry your message whatever it is that you are dreaming about i want to be a part of encouraging you don't let the lord wait any longer don't let those that you're supposed to impact wait any longer make those first steps and one of the coolest first steps you can make is I've created a private Facebook group to create a community of other fire starters that are wanting to make an impact and wanting to start to move towards the dreams that God had intended for them. And we all need encouragement. So that is why I'm here. That's why I get to, why I share the stories that I do and interview the people I, I do, because we all know that God had something more in mind when we came along than just some boring old stuff. So please take that step with us today. Thank you so much. Easiest way, text FIRE to 94253 if you're in the continental United States. All right, guys, I'll talk to you soon.